Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Right, we are back indeed, Chelsea fans, with another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, myself, Brandon, joined by Nick, not Dan, who is in Iceland. So we're going to bring in Mike to join us up to kind of round out the crowd. So welcome, gentlemen. Nick, obviously, you, yet again, traveling another weekend, had to go see your Nebraska Huskers football game, and it didn't end in misery. It, no, it completely did end in misery, Brandon. Oh, uh, oh thank sorry you for that. Sorry, um, really appreciate that. <laughs> I got I got burnt to a crisp yesterday, um, so I'm recovering. Um, I'm back home, see the family, but, uh, but yeah, Mike, Mike joining us for part one, always a delight. Oh, hey guys, what's up? Nice. Well, not only that, I'm sure if you follow us on social media, you've seen that we are bringing back from the archives a long-lost friend to the pod, Gary Hayes, my man. What is up? Mm, just dusting off the cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, we're lucky because you do a podcast almost every week when you're not running around the United States. So, I mean, this is just second nature for you. It is. A lot to talk. That is very true, Gary. Um, <laughs> the sound of my own voice. What, what was your? I'm still not sure if anyone else likes what it. What was your favorite part of the states? Really quickly, when you were over. 
oh, it's always New York. That's the problem. I get to New York and I don't want to leave. <laughs> but uh, we did five states. So we Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, and then New York, and then back to Boston. But yeah, it's beautiful. Vermont's lovely. I completely underrated. I never realised how amazing it's going to be. It is them in New Hampshire, maybe a little bit of Maine. You just usually don't get all the way up there, so it it was great. Um, for those of you who don't follow Gary on social media, uh, posted all of his stuff. It was fun uh, to kind of see his travels. Obviously, you also get to see him over in the UK. You know, week in week out as well. Um, you know, quick plug for the podcast you've been doing is the Chelsea podcast. So for those of you who need more Chelsea podcasts in your life, highly recommend that, and you get to also hear more of Gary's voice. Yeah, it's a good show as well, actually. It's a bit light-hearted. We don't get too serious. Um, I went on there first time three years ago as a guest, and then I've just never left. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's good fun. It's like a, a round table. Um, <clears throat> one of the guys who does it is a, a known actor over here called Phil Daniels, and then um, Andy Saunders, Kerry Levy, and myself with other guests. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a good show. It's light-hearted. We have fun. And, um, yeah, I'd recommend it. No, it's great. Especially, you know, it's a lot of the, you know, match-going fan experience, which for us in the United States, we love that. And I would say around the world, you know, us not in London getting to go. So, again, it's a great perspective that we can't provide, and they do a really, really good job with it. Uh, Normally, we do iTunes reviews right now. Dan is out, therefore iTunes reviews are out. But if you have left them over the international break, we will catch up with you next week. And if you want to be featured on next week's episode with a shout-out, go ahead and head over to iTunes and drop a five-star review. From Patreon, I dropped the ball last time, uh, so I'm catching up. So we've got Daniel, William, Brendan, and Matthew. All of you, huge shout-out. Your rewards are in the mail or you've already reciprocated with your questions. So kicking it right off of the bat, we like to do maybe a little open-ended question. Uh, we pulled this one from Instagram. This is J8, well, it's Jacob Soccer with the letter eight. And he says, should I be thinking about our title chances? It's early, but damn, we look dominant today. Nick, it is a slippery slope as a fan, not to get too excited this early. Uh, for, for for those and, and Jacob, I love the enthusiasm. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to preface my next statement with that uh, that you are live live on your cloud nine, my man. Um, life is all about setting expectations. If if you set your expectations at at top four and we win the title, then everything is the best thing ever. If you set your expectations at winning the title and and we finish top four, it's fine, um, but probably not as enjoyable. So. Whatever, whatever you have to do to, to meet your personal kind of level of expectation, set them there, and uh, we'll just see where the season goes. Gary, I mean, wh- where are you at in the process of making T-shirts versus already <laughs> sticking to top Print four? the shirts. <laughs> well, the, it's not necessarily a direct answer to it, but what I'm just happy with is that the way Sarri has united the fan base again. I think that when Conte was under the, the will he, won't he cloud, that there was a, a group of fans that wanted him gone because he wasn't doing himself any justice with the complaining in the press. And then there was a, a group of fans who I was part of, not necessarily arguing with people. I just wanted him to stay because I appreciate his passion and, and what he'd done for the club. But Sarri's come in now and that's all forgotten. It's been forgotten very quick and he's he's done it the right way by winning matches, not talking in press conferences, not, you know, 
sticking you know, his nose into other managers' business or you know complaining about this, that, and the other, or being outlandish. He's just got along with his job quietly, and and now here we are, mid September, five wins from five. So I think it's positive. No one was expecting it, and long may it continue. All right. Well, you know what? Either way, we are going to ride this as long as we absolutely can. Uh, but before we get into the actual match review, Nick, we do have probably one of the most exciting announcements we ever get to make every in the last two seasons we've been doing this. Correct. Uh, I know that we've been teasing our, our next London trip for a really long time, and uh, partly because we were working on some final details and ways to lower uh, the cost of the trip and everything like that. So after um, going back and forth with our partner XL Tours, we are excited to announce that we will be back. Uh, we'll be taking another trip to London uh, this time over the festive period, uh, which will extend from the 28th of December to the 2nd of January, we're going to see our first uh, away match as a group, which will be at Palace, which is a fun atmosphere and, and something that we're really, really looking forward to. And then a home match against Southampton on New Year's Day, um, which will be um, fo- following what I'm sure is going to be an epic New Year's Eve in London. We, we wanted to do this over the festive period so that people had time to not only you know look at their own personal vacation schedules, but it's a brilliant time in London. I'm sure Gary can attest that it's uh, it's one of the best cities to celebrate the the New Year in, um, and and we're just really excited to do uh, two matches and, and really kick it off uh, in quick succession. So uh, all the details that you will need to know are going to be on our website. Uh, our website is uh, LondonIsBluePodcast.com. You can click on our homepage and you'll, you'll find all the details there. Uh, special shout-outs for XL Tours for, for making sure they put all this uh, together um, for us. We, we really appreciate them. Uh, there will be options for a payment plan if there is too much, you know, if the expense is too much for kind of a, a lump sum for you, you can pay it off throughout the remainder of the fall. Uh, there will be an option if you or a person that you know would like to gift this trip to a um, – one of your family members or one of your friends uh, for the holidays, there's that option. And if, uh, as always, if there are special requests that you have, you know, you want to see another match while you're over there, if you want to think about doing a special New Year's Eve celebration, you know, somewhere in London, uh, please just DM us on Twitter, Instagram, or email us contact at London is blue podcast.com. Uh, and we will, we will route that through XL tours. They've been really great to work with on some of those special requests, Brandon. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to you know really take this moment to say we're doing it and we're really excited. Hell yeah, this is the best part of the the year when we get to go over and actually watch Chelsea play. I mean, <clears throat> Gary, what do you think about Palace away and Saints at home? I feel for you guys having to go to Selhurst Park. <laughs> it is my <laughs> that and um, Turf Moor are probably my least favorite stadiums in in the UK. Selhurst Park is like, it's in London, but it's not really in London. It's like being, okay. saying... Um, Gary, we're trying to drum up enthusiasm here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's, it'll be a great experience, seriously. It'll be a great experience for you to go there, because you go, oh, okay, I'll see. Because it's a really traditional old football stadium, right? So you guys are used to going to Stamford Bridge, and you see it, and it's well-connected, and it's, it's a nice, you know, nice stadium. And you go to Selhurst Park, and it's a throwback. Now, some people really like it. I, I have this debate and argument with people where they're like, oh, you know, pull your head out of your ass because, you know, you're just used to these new glitzy stadiums and shiny and new. 
So you go to Sellers Park and you, you'll get a taste of what football was like in the in the seventies. You know, it's, it's a it's an armpit to get to, <laughs> and when you get there, it's horrible. The views aren't great, but it has a really good atmosphere. But I'm I'm talking from someone who's always had the comfort of going there as a journalist. So I'm sat in there and I'm complaining about the tea's not hot enough and um, I don't have a screen in front of me and oh, <laughs> where's the heater or where's the aircon? So you know, I'm talking first first world problems. Yeah, well, that's it. And for us, we we were excited when we were planning it. Is that it is in London, so it'll be easy for us to travel to, you know, London in quotation marks, as you put it, Gary. Um, and yeah, from the people we've talked to, it's a very traditional ground. So I think it'll be really fun to kind of get that different perspective. Yeah, definitely. But most importantly, we were trying to line up as best we could six points. So knock on wood, now yep. <laughs> that's what we're going for. But but seriously, though, I would recommend it because it's it's an experience. You know, and you go there and you, you you'll I don't know you, you'll love it for the same reasons that I loved in Vermont the, the you know decrepit barns as we were driving through all the farms and I was chatting exactly. to people and going oh wow your barns are beautiful and I'm like really I was like yeah they're they're amazing like why aren't you renovating these things like we want to knock them down I was like no no you want to keep them up and yeah <laughs> but it's, that, that, that's the feeling you'll have a service party you'll turn up and we're going yeah knock it down it's a dive and you're like no no keep it it's like a <laughs> It's like a, a picture book of history, you know? Good, good. All right. Well, more information on the trip to come, but let us get into the meat of the episode. So we have the Cardiff City match review. It was a Premier League match at Stamford Bridge this past Saturday, September 15th. Blues 4, Blue Birds 1. Correct score predictions, not Nick, but... It's really weird that you would bring it up first this time instead of... Thank God. Not giving me my credit the last two <laughs> weeks, but hey, like we, we can't all be right. At 3-1, were you guys shitting a brick? Were you guys actually You saw the text threads. Yes. Yeah. I, I was praying to the <laughs> soccer gods for another goal. The ego that we would have had would have uh, been oh, tough. I would have I, I would have been rolling into this podcast today just 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 ready to roll, just smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. So Gary Nick has correctly predicted the last two matches, which is a massive fluke. So it's over. <laughs> on Facebook, we had Stephen Daniel and Yato. On Instagram, we had Andrew underscore Silverman at Mr. underscore Pupsick underscore 022 and at JT. So congrats to all of you and on to the lineup. Now, this is what Dan normally does. So Mike, as Dan's fill-in, you get the lineup. Oh, boy. Shoot. Now, this is great. So pretty much uh, a pretty same or same lineup. We were looking at Kepa in the back. You know, our back four the same with Rudiger, uh, his partner Louise, Aspi, and of course the beautiful Marcus Alonso. Uh, in midfield, we stayed the same with Jorginho and uh, Conte, of course, with some Mateo Kovacic. And then the big changes up top would be World Cup winner Olivier Giroud, along with his buddy Pedro, who was making his 100th appearance, and of course Eden Hazard. It was pretty much the exact same, like you said. The big change, Gary, going into this was all of the discussion. Uh, Giroud scored midweek. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, him coming in from Murata. The idea was that even though Warnock said that they're going to have a go for it, we assumed that they would defend deep uh, in their block eight, and that is kind of what they did. And so with Giroud, you knew you were going to get a different style, but he seemed to effortlessly plug right in. No, No concerns about the lineup here. Now, what, what I like about Giroud is how selfless he is. And you can see that 
Hazard got his hat trick yesterday through no coincidence that Giroud was playing. Like even even for the second, I know he gets a wicked deflection, but the link up player Giroud, and we saw it last year. I don't know if you remember, like when we played West Brom and Giroud made that lovely little layoff for Hazard to, to score in that match as well. And I just think that a game like that, Morata, when he gets when Giroud gets the ball on the edge of the area, there Morata's going to be looking to roll the defender and go for goal himself. Whereas Giroud knows he's there as like a a token point, a counterpoint that the other two, are, the, the inside forwards are going to play off. I think that's why maybe he hasn't got the goals record that people, you know, when they want to criticise him, whereas I think there's a lot more to what he does than just scoring goals. And then you see Hazard, these comments after saying he's the best target man in the Premier League. And I think when he plays like he did yesterday, it's hard to argue with. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And I know that, you know, all you have to do is look back to the <clears throat> World Cup run France had and the fact that he didn't score, but yet he was so crucial and, um, you know, played every single match essentially full of on. Uh, Stat-wise, Chelsea back up with 76% possession, uh, 18 shots, 7 on target, 910 touches. Didn't break the 1,000 touch mark this time, but again, over 760 passes. Um the way it that all turned out was we had five goals to talk about. So, Nick, right off the bat, unfortunately, it was the 16th minute. Sol Bamba assists Sean Morrison for the Bluebirds. Um, interesting here from Polycrack on Instagram. Nick, he says, not a question, but what I loved about this team as opposed to last year is that when they get hit in the mouth, they have the ability to strike back. They always look like they have multiple goals in them. Were you concerned when we conceded first yesterday? I was not concerned. Um because Car- annoyed, I was very annoyed uh, because it was it was a complete, it was a crap set piece to give up, and there was just no marking. Um, it, so what I what I thought was that ba- uh, Bomba initially was offside. Uh, it you know I think it was debatable, but it, it didn't look like it upon further review. And and to be honest, like that's the way that Cardiff is going to have to play in the Premier League. They are really really bad. Um, <laughs> I, I can't you like they're just they're not they're not even you know up to like a Bournemouth standard you know where I think you saw Bournemouth have a couple of clear-cut uh, chances against Chelsea uh, Cardiff didn't really offer a ton to the game uh, and I don't know what you thought about this goal Gary but it was just it was more annoying than anything yeah I saw um, one of the questions that came through when you put it out someone was asking if Kepper was at fault for the goal and I was like really like the Bambas smacked it from six yards out and you're questioning the goalkeeper's reflexes I think it was um, surprising to see that it was Jorginho who was actually marking Bamber in that situation where you can't be critical of him because he's coming up against a bigger and better player in that scenario so you look and you think there needs to be better communication at the back that someone like Bamber is being picked up by either Rudiger or David Luiz Um, but it's just stuff like that that is frustrating but it's where you expect this team to be right now, where in open play they look they look okay, but it's in it's at set pieces where the organisation quite isn't you know isn't quite there. And I think that when you've got a team that's in an evolution like this this Chelsea side is, that you you expect to see those mistakes happen. But thankfully at the moment it's just only a couple of games. But um, it's it, it's one of the areas too though, and just to pick up on your point. I think that Espilicueta, you know, as the captain and as a vocal leader in the team, I think he needs to even even up his game, maybe overcompensate in, in areas on set pieces because it just seems that there are a lot of guys looking around, you know, even after, you know, some, some clear-cut misses from, you know, our previous four opponents. 
so that would be an area where I think, you know, I love Aspie to death and he's, he's, you know, my pick for captain, but I think it would just in this, in this early on period, probably until November, December, he needs to be over communicative about who's man, you know, who has who, and, and just to be sure that everyone kind of knows their role. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that gets ironed out on the training ground, you know. I, I, I don't know whether they are practicing set pieces. I, I imagine they would be, but that's the sort of thing they sort out there. And it, it, it doesn't even become a, a question of leadership. It becomes a question of just like the individual players just stepping up and, and taking the, you know, being accountable for, for what they're meant to be doing. In that area, you know, you're in the the width of the six-yard box. That's where you expect your centre-backs to be, set piece or not. Um, because you know, even even if the ball is getting pumped in, where you know, it's something Cardiff have clearly worked on that will get the ball out wide where Morrison can put it in to pull him out of position and Bamba arrives, you know, from one big man to another. But I think that you know, teams, it's not necessarily zonal marking, but you know, teams should just be wise to that. That it's not it's the second ball that's killing you, not the first. So when Morrison does put it in, the, the other guy should be there to be clearing it out. But it's just one of those that they work on, you know, that they should be working on that in the training ground and getting, getting, um, you know, ironing out those issues. Because I think that the biggest concern would have been whether a team of Cardiff's ability were carving Chelsea open from open play and they didn't. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say just one thing. I think where, where people are asking, should we be looking at winning the title? I think this is the one area that's going to make the difference where we finish in the season. Because, you know, um, against better teams, we may concede in the run of play. And then if we give up one, you know, if we give up a crap goal on set pieces, I think it's going to make it much harder for us to pull out wins against, you know, a Tottenham or a Liverpool, um, you know, where we might not score as many goals. So I I feel like I I would like to see us get rid of the zonal marking and go back to a man mark. That's just my personal preference. Happy to get into that a little bit later, but I'd like to move on to the good part of the goals, everybody. That is right in the 37th minute. Eden Ezard assist Oliver Giroud. Olivier, not Oliver, Olivier Giroud. <laughs> 44th minute, copy-paste, Azard Giroud again. 80th minute, Eden Azard, no assist, but William did draw it, so got to give him a little shout-out. Uh, and then finally pushing it down to the 88th minute William assist none at least that's what the Premier League put to which Marco Alonso responded on Twitter uh, with the uh, questionable face saying first time I got called none and that was from the official fantasy Premier League account of the Premier League I'm not happy about that that cost me points this week me too didn't get the clean sheet didn't get the assist we got hosed Gary mm, and the thing is points are from players like Alonso, they're so valuable to me because I don't. I'm in a mini league with my colleagues at work, but I, I refuse to pick any players from top six teams apart from Chelsea, obviously. So everyone else is like always roaring ahead because they've got Aguero or whoever. But I refuse to make points out of Aguero scoring goals. So I think, well, that's directly affecting Chelsea. Um, so when Alonso gets an assist and doesn't, I'm like, man, like, do you want to sort this out? Because, you know, I just had Hazard as captain. I've got a good forty points. The rest of my players have failed, and I need I need those extra points. Yeah, that that's where I'm sitting. Um, I would like to point out, though, uh, pretty exciting that Ed Nazard went from outside the top ten scores in Chelsea's history with that hat trick, moved him up to ninth on the list. So he is now at ninety four. Um, the next person above him, George Hillsden, is at one hundred eight. So still a ways to go, but I'm sure he could close that gap this season if he just keeps on shooting. 
Um, lots of questions, guys, about Ed Nazard. Uh, Killian underscore SB say, what does this man have to do to get on the Ballon d'Or shortlist? Uh, weirdly enough, Zane on Instagram asked the exact same question as Tosser of Coin on Twitter, saying, since the beginning of the World Cup, has Hazard been the best player in the world on current form? Is anyone better than him right now? Well, I mean, Ronaldo did just finally score his debut goal at Juventus. Uh, and then Reed on Patreon saying, Hazard's stock probably can't get any higher. Is he going to sign an extension or will he be sold this summer? I don't even want to think about that. So to me, putting it in, in your court, Gary. Uh, with Eden Hazard obviously flirting heavily with Real Madrid, it didn't happen. His commitment level and his reaction to everything, I think is where I'm most impressed. Where We've seen a lot of other players maybe kind of fall off a little bit he has come back stronger than ever really yeah maybe um do you think sorry has a big influence with the style of play yeah may, maybe he's happier maybe he's happier and see it's the thing is that you know we're talking about the Chelsea podcast people listen to that will be like they know i'm not i'm not necessarily on his back but i he just disappoints me because we know how brilliant he is you know and and people get confused thinking I'm saying that he's rubbish and that I don't rate him. Now, of course I rate him. You know, he's the best player Chelsea have got by a mile. But what my frustration is with him is that he just doesn't do it enough. And you know, to, to go on back to that idea of what has he got to do to, to get the Ballon d'Or, well, he's got to do it against teams that aren't Cardiff. And you know, I, I know that he does do it against him. You, know, you get a highlight of Hazard and you'll you'll see him winning an amazing penalty against United in the FA Cup final. You'll see him putting cockle out on his ass before <laughs> running half the length of the pitch to score an amazing goal. But then they are just highlights. Whereas I think that it's, and I, I don't say this is a criticism of him. It's just, he, he enjoys football a bit too much, you know, where he's just like, look, I'm just happy to be knocking the ball about and playing. Whereas you'd look at someone like Messi, you look at someone like Ronaldo, you know, the players that, that he's getting compared with and they, they see it as a ruthless business. You know, they're there because they're like, they want to be winning everything. And I think the Hazard, he wants to win it, but he's sort of like, but if I don't win, I'm not too bothered because I've had fun in the in the meantime, you know. And I think that he need, he's not ruthless enough. And you, you can see that with, obviously, yesterday being an exception in that he scored a hat-trick. And he did the sort of things that, especially when I saw the first goal, I was like, that's what you need to be doing. You know, like getting the ball, skipping past that player, you, and you see the shot and you take it and you took it early, which didn't give the goalkeeper much time to set himself and he picked out the bottom corner perfectly. And you see that and you think, if you do that more often, you're getting 30 goals a season because you're getting yourself in those positions. But then if you go back a few weeks when we played Newcastle, there was a moment right on half time where Kante slotted him in and he just wanted that extra touch to take it round the Bravka before shooting and then he ended up not getting round him and shot and it was all blocked. And that's the other side of him that I see that just frustrates me a bit. So, you know, I think that he's, he's doing very well at the moment. And obviously, Sarri's system's helping him. And maybe, you know, we might see it that he scores more goals and he's a bit more ruthless this year because he's playing under a manager who believes in him and believes that, look, you should be, you're the, uh, the maverick of this side. You should be able to go out and make us work. And we'll worry about Kante and Jorginho and uh, Kovacic doing the defending. You just stay up there. You, you do what you got to do. And if that you know gets the best out of him, then you know great. Because I think as much as I might want to put the boot in at times, you've got to concede that ever since he joined Chelsea, he's never had a manager until now that's played the system that gets players like Hazard scoring goal upon goal. Because you know he came he came in under Di Matteo. And it was all shaky, and by the November, Di Matteo was gone, 
and then Benitez came in and that was all about consolidating for the rest of the season and just getting to the top four, which he did. Then Jose comes in and we know what happened there. Yeah. And then Hiddink was a, again a season of consolidation after Jose went. And in his first season under Conte, it was it was incredible, you know, the way that he had him play. And he, he spoke, you know, highly of Conte. And then just last year, something went wrong. So, you know, you look at it and you think, okay, what Sarri did with, with Napoli, you know, Hazard is a, a Sarri player, isn't he? So let's see what happens. But if he continues like he is, then you can put him into Ballon d'Or contention, you know, come the end of the season. But five games into the campaign so far, I think that, I think that's just fans getting too excited, which is yeah. fine because that's what we do as football fans. And, and I agree with you. I, I, Gary, I think <clears throat> where, where I rate Eden Hazard and I'm a big LeBron fan. So I'm going to make the connection here. Le- LeBron. And, and for those who are big NBA fans, you, you'll understand this probably. LeBron didn't really become LeBron until the 2012 Eastern conference finals against the Celtics, where he was, uh, the Heat were down, you know, three two, and you know had to go, uh, had to go win Game Six, and LeBron put up, you know, I think it was forty five and twenty, like he had a crazy game, almost killed Jason Terry with a massive dunk, um, and it was from that moment on where he just kind of, you know, I think just turned a switch in his brain where this is who I am now. If I'm a villain, great. If I'm a hero, great. It doesn't matter what I really am is the fucking best player in the world. Um, and I, I think he let go of a lot of the the baggage that other people put on him and and moved that into a place where he could be productive with it. And what I hope Hazard does, and I don't know if there's a moment or if it's just, you know, if the World Cup was that moment maybe or something, but it feels a little different right now. It feels like he's taking it up to another level. And maybe it's the system. Maybe it, it has something to do with his leadership abilities maturing over time. Like, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what it is. Um, but I think there's a moment where if he really, truly has ambition, and I'm not the person to, to put this on him, but if he does internally have the ambition to be the best player in the world, he has another level to get to, to, you know, to be on the Ballon d'Or shortlist. To, you know, I think he has to do more in goals and assists and winning moments. The moments that Gary was mentioning earlier that are like ingrained in your brain where Hazard in the 90th minute when Chelsea were, you know, you know, drawing with, with Manchester United and it, this is the match that's going to put him on top uh, to win the title, that he has the game-winning goal. Um, I, I think those are the moments where then you can definitively say he's the best player in the world kind of combining all those things because that's what Ronaldo and that's what Messi and that's what you know even Neymar at times have have done in their career and I think that he is he's a not only a a player who enjoys the beautiful game and and you know would rather assist than score at least to me it seems but he's a guy who just really wants to be at least loved you know and I, I think he has to get that part out of his brain and just start being ruthless, Mike. I don't know how you feel about it. You, you know, uh, I, I kind of, I think I'd have to pretty much agree with both of you. Uh, there's a little bit of me that I don't, I'm not a fan of the who's the best player in the world conversation because I feel a little bit, it's just all about one fan base trying to say we have the best player. Um, but I agree. I mean, if if Eden wants to win the, you know, if we want to consider him for the Ballon d'Or, he needs to 
basically score in every game, just like you know a Messi and Ronaldo and players who are at that level. Um, I think he can do it. And you're right. I the the thing for me, I wonder if it's almost a uh, you know, I might get hammered for saying this, but I'm wondering if it's a, 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 a Belgian, like kind of it's, it seems when I will look at some of their best players, it's either you have players like a Lukaku and a Kevin De Bruyne and that, that know they're elite players, but don't want to put in the super hard work to fight for it. And you have Eden who is a fantastic player and we know he puts in hard work, but it's just like they, they're just a little bit off of, doing that final package where you're, where you're right. I mean, Ronaldo demands the ball. Messi demands the ball. They, they have that killer instinct. And I just, I wonder if it's a little bit of a laissez-faire, like, you know, I'm happy to win. I'm happy to do my thing, but I don't know. He's just missing that top gear for me. And I hope that we see it this season. Could I just say one more thing on it is that this is the cynic in me. And part of me just thinks, okay, you see the way he's playing now. Is, is it a case of Madrid didn't fight for him enough this year? So he's just thinking, or whether it's a conversation that they had with Madrid where they said, we're not still convinced you can do it. Go and show us you can do it. And now he's gone, right, I'm going to show Madrid that I should be playing for him. Bang, I'm going to do it this year. And Chelsea benefit? Of course they do, you know, if he plays like, like he does. But then it's a case of with him saying, look, I'm going to put myself in the shop window to convince you next summer you spend £150 million on me because I'm worth it. You, you think so? I, I really think it's tactics. I, I think that we have, he's played under managers that have been so, you know, I, I think there's a difference when Jorginho and Mateo are behind you feeding you the ball and you have, you know, you have Giroud also setting up play as opposed to like a Matic and, and other players who were just so defensive and, and in my opinion, offensively poor. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Like I was saying, it's not a, a theory that I'm holding myself to, but I'm just looking, I think, okay, there is just a nagging little bit at the back of my mind thinking you flirted with Madrid this much. Are you trying to prove a point now? But like I say, if, if he does prove a point, Chelsea win anyway because they get a great season out of it. If he signs the contract, but, but, he has to sign but the extension. Even if he doesn't sign Otherwise the contract, is that, yeah. you know, he's still got um, two years on his deal. So yeah. Chelsea could say, no, no, you know, we are, we're going to do what United did with Sanchez and we're just going to hold you to ransom. And we're not going to let you go because the thing is, is that he's 27. When he comes to leave, he'll be nearly 29. Now, you know, in, in terms of the end of his contract. So you look at it then, you think, is someone going to offer him a big, a big contract, you know, like Madrid or someone? Are, are they going to look at it thinking, well, we're only going to get three years out of this guy? You know, so you, you don't know. So Chelsea sort of still hold the power because the contract's running down. But at the same time, it's not like he's 24 and he's got two years left on his contract. He's 27 with two years left. And when he gets to 29, that conversation changes. The sort of clubs looking at him will change. Madrid would probably go for him to get three years out of him, but he's not going to be the star maybe that he thought he would be in Madrid because they're going to want to get a player who's 24, 25. He's going to be peaking while he's at Madrid. Whereas when he goes there at nearly 29, he's going to be on the wrong side of his peak. So you just don't know. It's it's one of those that obviously as as time goes, we're we're going to see see it play out and it could go anyway. And, there's going to be all sorts of theories and beliefs. But at the moment, I'm just trying to enjoy him in the here and now and just think, you know what, we'll worry about next summer, next summer. Because as fans, we've been put through so much you know, angst, arguing amongst ourselves, seeing what's gone on with the club, being disappointed, 
in the way the club's been run at times. And I just think, you know what, let's just enjoy what we're seeing from the guy. Whether he's Ballon d'Or or not, I don't care because to me anyway, I don't put any value on stuff like that. I, I, I see it, I've seen it from the inside, I know what that is. And I just look at it and think, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't play FIFA, so I'm not bothered about his stats. Well, there's your problem. You. Yeah. <laughs> That's your problem, I, Gary. <laughs> yeah. And and I will quickly say I don't think he had like at least from what we've seen in 6 years of him. I don't think he's a cynic. You know, I don't think that he would suit up for Chelsea thinking about Real Madrid. I you know, I think he I think he is a, a much a much better guy than than maybe some other players and I I give him the benefit of the doubt from a personality standpoint because we haven't seen anything else from him to this point that would suggest that. his name is Courtois, the other players (laughs) you were naming. (laughs) I thought we were not going to name names on this podcast anymore. I am happy to name names when it's appropriate. All right, I'm going to move this on a little bit. Uh, Yes, this is the Eden Hazard Appreciation Podcast, but it's hard not to be. (laughs) You can't blame us. But... Uh, Nick, we did get a question from Tom on Patreon saying, we saw Giroud get the start and the full 90 minutes yesterday. I know Morata hasn't been great, but this still kind of shocked me. Do we expect to see this moving forward? Olivier held up the ball, opened up space, and for Hazard and others, beautifully the whole game. I'm not sure I'd go back to Morata unless he blows away Sarri in training or in some game minutes. Uh, but to me, Nick, uh, one, it's World Cup winner Olivier Giroud, Tom, uh, and, and two, yeah. <laughs> we're about to have your Europa League game this Thursday. We we haven't seen the rotation policy from Sarri yet. So keeping that in mind, let's not dwell too much on Morata. I'm assuming he's going to play Thursday. Olivier Giroud just brought the juice today in, in this match. He did. And, and you, I don't know, at least from the first four games and then looking at it yesterday, it, the uh, offensive flow looked a lot more in sync and effortless with Giroud as our target forward. That's not saying that Morata's not going to come good. It's just against a really defensive team that's compact, Olivier Giroud gives you something that Morata doesn't. And this wouldn't be the first team in history that has two strikers with two different uh, sets of skills um, used in two different situations. You know, when, when we play Arsenal again or some team who wants to employ a high line, uh, Morata would definitely be your preferred option because he's able to make runs in behind that I don't really, I haven't seen enough from Giroud to, to conclusively say that he could do the same thing. So I think Giroud is my preference at this point, but I'm certainly not giving up on Morata just because Giroud had a good game. I think Morata has a, a huge role to play in this season. And by the way, we only have two strikers. So, like, the odds that they both see really good minutes this season are, are huge. And I, I just, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of people who just are, are, are so desperate to write off Morata because he, he hasn't done exactly what they hoped he would do to this point. And, like, I get the frustration at times with that. But I also think you just have to root for the team. Like, just root for the team. If we win 4-1 with Giroud, great. If we win 4-1 with Morata, great. I just, man, like, the angst that we see on Twitter about Morata just needs to calm. Okay? 100%. Yeah. No, for sure. And 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 I want to clarify before, you know, Mike and Gary get in on this, is that this isn't exactly to, to put down Morata. It's to say Giroud played 90 today. He did a hell of a job. He did a great job. What do job. you think about it? I mean, yeah. to me, like, like Mike, the fact that Giroud pulled off essentially a, a jumping Cruyff backheel pass to <laughs> Kovacic, <laughs> I didn't think he had that in him. 
Yeah, he he also had those go-go gadget legs to get that assist to Eden. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you guys. I think personally, um, being a little bit older than some of the people watching this, I think FIFA and stats have corrupted people's vision and expectations of the game. And it makes someone like you know Messi and Ronaldo look amazing because they can score all the time. And I think you lose the appreciation of certain players, the impact of, of what they have in the game. Um, I think if we went with a hockey style uh, stats, which you had that second assist, I think you would see much more impacts of of players like a Giroux of of what they're truly doing with the game. And he, you know, we'll stick with the NBA um, references. He's kind of that Carl Malone, where he's he's that big man, and he can he can shoot it from outside, and he can he's looking to make those dishes and those passes. And it's not all about him, you know, about his personal you know points. So I, I agree 100%. Um, and, it, and, it, and again, the argument goes to William and Pedro. It does not matter who is starting as long as Chelsea is winning. And, and that's where I stand. So I'm, I'm ecstatic to see, to see him playing. And I'm excited to see Murata, you know, with the new competitions opening up, it's going to be great to see both of them playing each week. Anything surprise you about Giroud or... I don't know, the fact that he played all 90 minutes to you, Gary? I, I mean, usually Sarri is really good about kind of rotating some of those players towards the end of the match. Yeah, but yeah, see, with, with Giroud, what surprised me is, I, I don't know whether it's because it was ignorance because he played for Arsenal or whether it was because I didn't see Arsenal enough to have a proper opinion on him. But since he, jo- since he joined us in January, I've just been completely surprised by the sort of player he is. And... I think he's playing better for us than he did ever at Arsenal because we play to his strengths. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised the fact that he played 90 yesterday because he hasn't really played a lot for us this season. So, and I think you know Sarri's still getting a look at this side. You know, he's, he's still getting a feel for players. And Giroud came back late from the World Cup, obviously, and he had Morata for you know the whole preseason. So he, he knows what Morata's about, and he's trying to get a look at Giroud and playing him against Cardiff as a target man, where we know. You know, coming up against big, burly defenders isn't really Morata's game because he goes down too easy and he gets upset. Whereas yesterday required puffed out chests and you know being a bit dirty yourself against them, which isn't Morata's forte, is it? So I'm not surprised he played the the full ninety. It just remains to be seen what happens on Thursday now because is uh, Morata going to be demoted to playing Europa League, which means Giroud will come in against West Ham as well. I, yeah. Do you, well, do you think it'll come in at West Ham, or do you think it'll come in Thursday against um, who? Giroud. You know, PA. Okay. So that, that no, I'm sorry. Morata. That's what I'm saying. You know, if he if he plays on Thursday, that's him done for Sunday because he's not going to play. Yeah, because it's too short of a turnaround. Yeah, exactly. And you gotcha. know, they're, they're flying to Greece as well, which isn't necessarily you know on our doorstep. So you know, granted, it's not flying east coast to west coast, but it's still a little bit of a trip. Um. So. Yeah, but I just go back to the point. I forget who just made that point, but I'm just happy Chelsea have got two strikers who can do a job. Oh yeah, you know, and I don't care who plays, so long as they're putting the ball in the back of the net or they're assisting players to get the ball in the back of the net, it doesn't matter. You know, the the, the favourite players at Chelsea or any club that you support should be the players who are scoring and performing. You know, to steal one from Dan Silves right now, guys, it's simple. Is you're five for five. Like we're not here to to nitpick and, and to break it all down. Like we're here to ride the wave while we can. Um, love Eden Hazard's comments on Olivier Giroud saying he is the best in the world at what he does in terms of being a hold up striker. That's just always a great 
partnership to have. And, you know, I think that the more Eden talks about Olivier uh, fitting his style, I feel like the more minutes he's going to get as far as, you know, Sarri's concerned. Um, speaking of more depth, uh, it looks like William is refusing to just go away and give up like a lot of people on social media have told him to do after Pedro's really great start to the season. Uh, personally, I actually think Maurizio can get away with rotating Pedro and William pretty much interchangeably this season, especially if we have others who are able to score, uh, obviously like today. I know Chelsea didn't sign a lot of players this summer, but Gary, I actually think that the depth this team has is significantly better than we've had the last two seasons uh, under Conte. Again, not saying it's because of signings necessarily. I just for whatever reason, with four at the back, having so many center backs, I know we don't have a lot of outside back depth like we thought we would because Emerson's kind of been in and out. Yeah, anyways, um, the exception being the fact that we only have two strikers, to me, it just seems like every time we go to the bench, we can bring in really, really strong players to to affect a game, especially when we've been running a team you know, ragged for the, the first 60 minutes. Yeah, I think so. I think what it is as well, though, is that it's just way the way the manager's using the players. So suddenly you see them and think, oh, I didn't realise he could play like that or that he could play this role. And it's sort of like when Conte came in that that first season where we only signed three players that summer, I think. It was Kante, Batshuayi and one other. David Luiz. David Luiz, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, of course, Alonso as well. Um, so it's four players, really, that came in as, as first-team players. but And it was just suddenly that... Conte went to a three-man defence and you just saw this this depth that we didn't realise was there. And now now you're seeing um, just the way that, you know, Sarri's got things going now that you're suddenly seeing it, that there's, you know, Barkley can play a, a role. Kovacic can play a role. You know, and, and it's a cliche, but Barkley is a new signing because I know we got him in January, but he wasn't fit. So he's come in. So that's two new players you've got in that area. And, and I just think that the way he's utilising that squad is probably beneficial for it in that sense. Um, so I think there's depth, but I don't think there's depth in the way that Chelsea want immediately in terms of they're going to have a you know a sustained title challenge. You look at the City squad, you look at Liverpool, maybe Spurs to a point, United, they've probably got bigger squads. I just think that the starting eleven at Chelsea is far more functional than we were expecting at this point. But I think throughout the season, like what we've got now, six games between now and the October international break, that that's when it's going to be tested and we'll, we'll see how good that depth is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, speaking well, of... Well, go for it, Mike. As I was speaking of depth and and uh, I, I definitely rate Barkley and I look forward to seeing how he plays this season, but Mateo going out, um, you know, in the, what, 50th, 60th minute... Um, the, the game the game changed and I think uh, it, I think it was interesting to see the impact that he has on the game along with Jorginho um, you know we, we definitely kept less possession and it kind of just changed the dynamic so I think it's interesting to see how how you know as we're changing things up and how we're slotting things I think Mateo is another one of those like really under um, undersold players and that just has a huge impact of keeping you know, keeping things calm and keeping possession. So that'll be interesting to see. I know, sorry, said it's a minor injury, but I definitely think we need to keep him healthy throughout the season. Nick, from your perspective, uh, we did get a, a question on Instagram from JKT10890 saying, I feel like none of the this person versus this person competitions are even close except for one. 
the William versus Pedro. They say that Kovacic versus Barkley is easy. I'm assuming in favor of Kovacic. Giroud Morata is obvious. Again, assuming Giroud to them. But they can't figure out who needs to start on the right wing. They both bring something different. What do you guys think? So I know I kind of teed it up that way, but are all of those like that obvious to you? Or do you feel like... Remember when we interviewed Joe Cole uh, and he talked about... And I asked him, what really helped you guys push on from being you know, a, a, a good team or a good team in England to a great team in Europe. And he was saying it was all the competition within the squad and pushing each other to get better. I feel like the levels are a lot closer and people really have to fight for their spots. And sorry, is kind of giving guys chance like Barkley, I'll give you minutes. Ruben, I'll give you some minutes. William Pedro, I'll give you some minutes. Ruben Marat, the same thing. It's almost like he's really creating these kind of battles amongst the players to, to prove, you know, who is the best and ideally bringing quality out of them. That's the whole point, right? Uh, Joe Cole was referencing um, not only himself back in the in the mid two thousands, but also uh, you know Frank. So they brought in Michael Ballack and Michael Essien, and there was already uh, Claude Makalele there, and there was you know all of these midfielders who you know Frank had to be thinking, you know, what the hell? I'm already I'm already doing a good job. <laughs> you know, you're you're still bringing in you know the Bison, you know, to compete and and to play alongside you know. So I think I think that does make a a lot of difference. I think the only one of those three that's obvious to me is Kovacic, um, who is outstanding. Uh, you know, I don't think Barkley uh, necessarily has the same skill set as Kovacic. I think they're they're two different players, but you know, Barkley wouldn't see the field, you know, in a, in a normal match if it wasn't, you know, for for Kovacic being out injured. You know, I think there's just a significant gap there. Um, Giroud Morata is a situationally dependent scenario to me. You know, I think I, from a stylistic standpoint, I prefer Giroud, um, but I'm also not writing off Morata. You know, again, I, I think that, you know, against different styles of play, they're both going to be effective. And then William P- uh, V. Pedro, I think, is the one that everyone's looking to uh, to see if there's like a firm decision made. And if I'm Maurizio Sarri, I'm not making a firm decision this year. I want both of them to be engaged, and I want both of them to feel like they have a chance to start every week. And, you know, right now I think Pedro probably has a slight edge, but, you know, you, you can see what William can do cutting in. And, and man, I mean, it's it's not as if either one is significantly ahead of the, the other. Uh, so uh, I think Pedro is my choice for right now, but, I mean, that can change week to week, uh, Mike. Yeah, you know, I, I I would agree. I think between Pedro and William, to me, it almost seems who's who's the player who's coming on because one you know one player is doing all the hard work and the other one's kind of drafting in and coming in you know later in the second half and usually getting that goal. So I think super healthy competition between both of them and them duking it out. It it only helps us, and I would just like to see them almost rotate game to game. You know, and I, to me, I I don't really. I know people will slate William a little bit and Pedro's a little bit more uh, ready to shoot, but I do think that William's pace and sometimes his, you know, whipping crosses in and being a little bit more looking for the assist helps us as well. So I, I, I couldn't differentiate between the two and I'm happy when either one of them are on the scoreboard. Everyone brings a little something different to the table, which is, is it's been great to watch the season too. Um, all right. Well, I, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, Gary, is there anything 
that you noticed while watching this match that maybe we haven't touched on or even something holistically as we've come back from the international break, which is obviously the worst time and it's just overflowed with joy having Chelsea back? Yeah, it's not specifically from anything just recent, but I don't want to interrupt people as they were talking. But my view on Barkley, just to go back to that debate, you can just see, like you say, that Kovacic is just is a step up. Just just the way that he moves the ball, which is what's so important in this in this Sarri system. Is you know, I was chatting about it again to plug the Chelsea podcast, but I was chatting about it just last week, saying that I think that as time goes by you might see Kante edged out of his side because he's being asked to play a different role. And and then someone said, oh, but what about when we have to see results out? I was like, well, the way Chelsea will start seeing results out is they'll just stop the other team having the ball, which is the way they play football now. Um, but just, just, just to go back to Barkley is that I think we're asking him to play a role that he's not suited to. He's used to playing further forward and impacting the game. You see what he did at Everton where he was always the player that was not necessarily linking play, but it would be bursting through to get onto to through balls. And I think that you, you're talking about, you know, Pedro and William. I've, I wrote a piece about them for the Athletic just recently, actually, uh, to plug that as well. So I'm plugging everything at the moment. Um, but I, I just think that Barkley <laughs> could be that fourth attacker. You know, and I'm not saying that he gets in ahead of Pedro or William or Hazard, but I just think that his future in this team should be further up, further up the pitch. Because that, that that's what he's better at. He's better at, you know, bursting through and you know make, making that impact in that area. Whereas when he's having to sit a bit deeper, he's having to move the ball a lot more, which isn't really his his forte. It's not his strength. That's not how he's um, played football before. Whereas Kovacic has done that. That that that's what his game is. And I think you know you, you look at the way Jorginho does it. Barkley just he's trying, and he's not doing too bad at either. But that's just not his role. In the same way that Kante isn't this midfielder that plays on the right side of a three and has to get forward you know he's normally there sweeping up and and starting things in the way that Jorginho is but obviously not in the same in the same manner so I just think you know Barkley may be moving him forward a bit more and giving him that opportunity there so I do remember your discussion on the Chelsea about this so in two minutes can you overview for our listeners that you think Conte may get edged out because Nothing because of his quality, just because it's like asking a center back to play left wing, yeah. essentially. It's just not his role. And but I don't, I can't remember, like, so who's your third choice to come in and round out that midfield? <coughs> Ruben. Um, because then what you've got is you've got a better balance in that midfield. And I think that Kante's great against Cardiff and teams that aren't really going to challenge Chelsea and, and ask questions of them. But when you come into play City, Liverpool, Spurs, United, Arsenal, well, actually rule out Arsenal, but, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any, any anti-Arsenal sentiment on this podcast <laughs> is well received. Trust me, you do not understand the resentment I have for that club. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think that Ruben, or, or even Barkley maybe, because you don't necessarily want two masters in possession having a third one there because sort of you've got too much of a good thing so maybe Barkley being it, replacing Kante in that sense so he's the one getting forward and Kovacic and Jorginho are the link men but I just think that Kante as much as he tries as much as you can admire the endeavour he just hasn't got it that you need that midfield to be created because there's not a lot of goals in this team 
Yeah, and I know we've got four goals against Cardiff this weekend, but there's still not a lot of goals in it. And you've got to look and you've got to think, where are those goals coming from? And you can start ticking off where they're not coming from. And it leaves you with a, a smaller, small group of players where you know you look at Liverpool, the goals come from everywhere, from midfield, from those that, that attacking three. With City, same thing. You know, they have De Bruyne sitting a bit deeper in, the, in that midfield with Fernandinho and David Silva and they all score goals. And Kante just doesn't. And he's not creative enough. You're asking, you know, it's almost like what happened to go back, like, bloody, what, 14 years now, when, when Jose first came in, William Gallas and John Terry were the, the partnership that got Chelsea to a Champions League quarterfinal the year before. They'd finished runners-up in the league under Ranieri, you know, before uh, in, in uh, Roman's first season. And Jose came in and he brought his man with him. And that man was Carvalho. And that didn't mean that Gallas was a bad defender. It just meant that Jose wanted the man that he trusted to play a certain way and it forced Gallas to play left back and, and Gallas did you know great he, he, he you know he didn't let himself down but he just still wasn't Ashley Cole <laughs> you know and when Ashley Cole came in he, he replaced Wayne Bridge and, and Gallas and you know because obviously Gallas went to Arsenal but I just looking I think that Kante is almost like a victim of circumstance in that not right now but maybe moving forward because Sarri's come in, he's brought his boy with him and his boy is Jorginho. And you look at the way Jorginho plays football and you're like, okay, look, you can't argue with that. But then what are you going to do with this guy that's exceptional at what he does? And it's almost like a, just forcing him in the team because he's Kante in the way that Jose did with Gallas. You know, I'll play you at left back because I want to get you in my team, but you're not going to play ahead of Carvalho and you're certainly not going to be ahead of John Terry. So maybe, you know, it could be I'm overthinking it, but I'll just look at it and think, you know, maybe Kante is going to have to really significantly improve what he does going forward in order to survive in this side. Otherwise, next summer, I think that Chelsea might just make some good money on him. That's a crazy thing to think of, especially with how much Ruben would still have to, you know, kind of step up into that role. And it's feel bad for him. It's the same thing every manager. He's needs to improve tactically. He needs better awareness. And, and that's what Sari's saying. Um, but let's assume like Ruben was good to go and slots in like you're coming, you're asking someone who's played a half a season at palace to come replace world cup winning and Golo Kante. But that's it. He's not replacing world cup winning and Golo Kante in the position that world cup winning and Golo Kante plays. Right. But I'm just saying, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's the expectations though, I would say, or maybe like just the surface level look of it. It just sounds ludicrous. And that's why I was kind of, pulling it back to say again it's it's different circumstances different positions different styles but anyways uh the original can, can rant, i have the original rant a, was good go back to the chelsea and listen to that nick go ahead I, defend your I boy need to, I, yeah i need to pop back really quick um and i think it's just uh you know i understand where you're coming from gary i think that if all things remained equal and Maurizio Sarri wanted to play exactly like he played at Napoli at Chelsea, then I think your scenario could very well play out. I do not think that that's going to happen. And we have a question in part two that's going to ask like the differences between what you think Sarri's Napoli and Sarri's Chelsea are going to be. And I think that having a player like N'Golo Conte, even if he's not doing the goal-scoring, um, you know, assisting side of the game, Someone who can run around and win the ball high up and turn the ball over to a more, you know, competent, qualified assister like Kovacic or Alonso or 
uh, Eden Hazard or Pedro, whoever. There, there are five options I just named off um, that can that can do that job, but none of those players are going to do the winning the ball back job that Indolo Conte can do higher up the pitch. And if it looks awkward for a little bit, I'm okay with it because I just simply think he's one of the best, most irreplaceable players in the world. And I think that Sarri's system is probably going to adapt uh, to make sure that he and his his strengths are, are helping the team in maybe a slightly different way. So that's my only pushback. What, what, what I would say to counter that slightly, again, it's not something that I'm particularly predicting, saying, oh, this, this is definitely going to happen. I was looking, I think, mm, where do you fit in? Because if you look at Liverpool and you look at City, ju- just to compare them, because they, they play a similar style, they don't have a player like Kante. You know, but, but what they do have is they have the other players that are adept at doing their jobs in winning the ball and that they work together and they hunt in packs to to win the ball back and you saw like City yesterday against Fulham the way that they would turn possession over so quick but you know, you look at that City side and you know yesterday they had David Silva uh, Fernandinho and I forget the other one who was in midfield but then you had uh, Aguero Sterling and Sane and they don't have a Kante what they do have is they have these players that are incredibly you know, gifted in possession so that when they do have the ball, they make it count so much and they make it count, you know, so significantly. Whereas I think that Kante, it's what he does in on the ball, you know, this going to let him down, I think, moving forward. And, you know, I think that, you know, Sarri is a wise manager. He's showing that. He might adapt his system as time goes on. I just think that if Chelsea carry on playing like they are, it's going to be very difficult to to put someone like Kante in there. You know, and, and just to go back to the idea of Ruben is that the reason being is that in that system, he's, a, he's able to play as that number eight. He's able to really bomb on and run, you know, run in from deep and, and play that role that he did in, in the youth teams at Chelsea, which was his role. And it's sort of changed over time where he's been misused and abused by managers. And I just think that, you know, don't, you know I, I know I'm biased because I absolutely adore the guy. I love him. You know, and I, I love the way he's come through at Chelsea and everything else, but I just think it's sort of set up for him, but he just needs that confidence of a manager. All right. Well, as Gary did clarify earlier, he does not play FIFA and doesn't understand putting all of the stars into one team, even if they don't <laughs> fit. Kind of like the FIFA 11 of the season, you know? it It's never an actual team. It's just the best players. Um, but I do appreciate your pragmatic approach, Obviously, there's going to be a ton of debate over this. Would love to have that discussion online. Uh, Gary, what's your Twitter handle so we can make sure we get it funneled the right way? Gary Hayes with two R's. Loves, loves a good poll. Um, All right. Well, (laughs) here's our man of the match poll. Dan did it from Iceland. I don't understand what he was doing, so I'm just going to put it out there. He spelled out Eden, E-D-E-N, as the options, and... Uh, you would, as you would probably uh, guess, the first E won because we're lazy. <laughs> and then it literally went down. D got 17, E got 13, N got 10%. And then that's how that ended up. So thanks, Dan, for trolling us from Iceland. I, I don't know. It, nice. Dan. The, there, was, there was only one player. And, you know, in a, in a, in a hat trick scenario. Praise be to Ed <laughs> No doubts, no doubts. Uh, all right, before we end this episode, I do want to run through the top four. It is Chelsea at the top, five wins. 
no losses, no draws, 14 goals for, four against with a plus 10 goal difference. Taking on West Ham next Saturday in the Premier League, obviously Europa League before that. Liverpool dropped to second, also undefeated, uh, but only a plus nine goal difference, which to me, I think that's a huge accomplishment with like Liverpool and City as much firepower and attacking as they go. Uh, City in third place on plus 11 uh, goal difference. That that puts us right in the mix. I think that's a, a huge sign of positivity. Um, Obviously, Watford dropping to fourth with four matches won and a loss finally at the hands of United at the weekend. So anyways, you've got Tottenham at sixth, Arsenal seventh, United at eighth. Uh, That kind of brings all the big teams up out of the bottom of the table, unlike last week. So we'll kind of see how things continue to shake out. But, you know, five wins from five matches played, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be too upset with that. Uh, so with that being said, Chelsea fans, we're going to wrap it up. Gary, again, thank you so much for jumping on the pod. Uh, it's been far too long. We really are looking forward to hopefully getting to meet up uh, when we're over in London, kind of at the new year. Yeah, I just won't be at Palace. That's fair. <laughs> See you at the bridge. We, we get it, Gary. We get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've got PTSD from going there. That's understandable. The party effect still lingers. Uh, it's, it's just the the well actually you know what J- just to blow my own trumpet slightly one of my best things as a journalist happened at Palace though that's what I will say because um, it was when Chelsea were on their run of victories under Conte in the first season when he was always going on about being a tailor and that's when I said oh does that make you the Armani of managers and that's, that's when right. he got that that laugh and that video went viral and Conte and I had a, a good little laugh and joke about it. So I will say that about Palace. It's just that in the press box, their their tea and food isn't great, which is what, the way I rate football stadiums now. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. Uh, also, again, follow Gary at The Athletic. Um, do you just go to the general website there or do you have your own special handle section? Um, you just go onto the app, pay your subscription, which is on pay to say. Um and then you, you can just search my name on there, or if you go into Chelsea, I'll be there. Perfect. And then the Chelsea podcast, obviously. And even though he's not on the staff, but, you know, just a guest that never leaves. I know. I think they need to put me on the staff, don't they? Three years down the line. They're taking <laughs> advantage. You put your time in. Uh, Dan and Nick, as always, thank you, gentlemen, so much for being on. But Chelsea fans, that's a wrap. Welcome back to Premier League football. It is here. No more international breaks for a while but until then uh we're gonna be back after uh you know maybe europa league looking at west ham for sure so make sure to catch us and follow sam part two coming out tomorrow just as you want so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high